If you go to a pub in Ireland, you have to have a song. And if you don't have a song, you may as well not go to a pub at all. I've changed the Murray, by the way. So if anybody wants to buy me a Murray, well, I'd say Peroni as well. Right. The season's been done a few weeks. We've had time to uh, reflect, lick his wounds, and we're coming back with our second, which will now be called the uh, second annual uh, Four Blades in a Pub season review. And I'm joined tonight, uh, live on Zoom again, uh, with Ian. Good evening. Uh, Dan. Good evening, everybody. And Phil. Good evening. And obviously I'm John and we're here to look back on the uh, on the season, uh, having thought about it for a bit and obviously taking in some of our fellow content producers' um, reflections on the season and stuff and wanted to do a comprehensive uh, look back at things, what we enjoyed, what annoyed us and a few funny awards as well. Um, we've got four big awards to kick ourselves off tonight. We've got the goal of the season. Uh, the player of the season, the young player of the season, and the moment of the season. Now, they, we're going to do a bit of discussion around these, even though we we agreed on quite a few, but it wasn't just myself, Phil, Dan and Ian who contributed to um, to the voting on this. We also got contributors throughout the year. So, uh, Joe Chopper, uh, Sam Ridley, Alan Picard, and Luke, oh, the producer, not to mention... Quizmaster himself, Mr. Paul McDonald. So it's not just us four, it's our, our sort of like four blades in a pub squad, if you will, who fed into this. So I'll kick things off uh, with the goal of the season. So we didn't score lots of like amazing goals from outside of the box. Um, in third place was two flex first against uh, Aston Villa and Sharp's goal at Bournemouth. I think that's in there because obviously what it meant. Second Flex second against Villa, and my personal choice, uh, Ender's Thunderbolt against Brighton, but resounding winner amongst the four blades and our friends was Moussa's goal against Man United. So, Ian, talk to us about that. Did you vote for that one? I didn't vote for that one. I'd like to extol the virtue still of Flex second against Villa, uh, just for the teamwork. I mean... Yeah, I enjoyed Moose's goal and actually in that match and in that moment as well of, um, and we'll come on to it a bit, tearing, tearing Manchester United a new one for a, a good hour. You know, Moose's goal stood out, but for the actual interchange in play, yeah, there was a bit of a bit of a lucky break in the build-up to it. I, I went for Fleck uh, against Villa. Yeah, I, I voted for that as well. I think from from the, the kind of... <laughs> I don't know how you call it, the kind of cut, volleyed pass from, from Norwood to Flex run across the box and, and Didzy's flick over his shoulder. I just thought it was a brilliant goal. But like you say, the Moussa goal as well, not just the goal, the timing of it and what it meant for the context of that game and how good we were. It's, it's hard to argue against it because it was a great finish and it showed you... It showed you and highlighted exactly what Moose is all about. Power, pace and clinical. He's, he's got a great shot on him and, and it was kind of all summed up in that one goal, wasn't it? It was your, your choice, wasn't it, Dan? Unsurprising, yes, because it involves my Moose. Um, <laughs> is that a new terminology, my Moose? My Moose, yeah. The, the what, yeah. I, I mean, obviously, you know, 
everyone knows I've got a bit of a soft spot for the Moogs, but I just, for all them reasons Phil's just given, I just thought it were great. You know, he could have, he could have taken it on, tried to drive it another 10, 15 yards and possibly risk De Gea closing him down and just to take it so early against the, and catch a, a world-class goalkeeper basically on the hop and put it in the bottom corner. Um, yeah, there was only one winner for me, really. I think as well, to go 2-0 up um, against Man United at home, and Moose was obviously on that, he was on like a bit of a hot streak at that stage. It was just a, it was an amazing feeling, like the goal itself was was phenomenal, because we don't tend to score goals like that very often. Uh, and again, talking about our colleagues, not colleagues, friends, whoever you want to call them on Blades Pod, were saying like the season before, it was only the Norwood goal that Brentford outside the area. And this is very similar when you're thinking about They see goal of the season, they usually strike some long distance. It's quite an anomaly in a wilder team, really, like a, a goal like that. And it was it was, it was just it was just tucked away lovely in the bottom corner. So Moose winning that for the goal against Manu, despite all the everyone apart from Dan putting something else forward. Other people with us agree with that. And to be honest, thinking back to it, I don't think any of us can argue or be particularly disappointed with the outcome of that one. And if you're listening, Moose, if you give us your address uh, via DM, we'll get a um, certificate over to you that you can have in a frame in your house. And Dan will write it out by hand saying, to my Moose. Lots of lots of love hearts on it. Yeah, absolutely. So next up. Does he get a Moose T horny CD single or something alongside it? Horny, 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 yeah. If, if you're able to source money and we'll throw that in the uh, care package, yeah. I'm on Amazon, I'll come back to you in a bit. Okay. Right. N- next up, player of the season. So, player of the year, again, voted for by, by all of us. This one's got a clear winner, though. And, and interestingly, there's no one tied for any of the positions. So, we've got a top four. In fourth place, we've got Jack O'Connell. Uh, and by the way, I think O'Connell's had a bit of a hit and miss season. I don't know what, what you think. I think he's been great at times, and then others he's, he's perhaps not looked quite as good as, as we know he can be. I think uh, I think there's also like an expectation around O'Connell, uh, which with all these other players, I don't think there is. I, I certainly don't think it wasn't. If we're going to all stick his neck out at the beginning of the season, so who's who do we know? Like Cast Iron can play the level above. I think we would all said O'Connell. As the first choice, uh, and I still think he is probably our best in a lot of ways, our best player. And we saw that when he came back in after after lockdown, uh, and and how everything just looks better with him in the team. It, I think the I think in the past he's been eight or nine out of ten every game, and I think he's he's not always been at that level. But I don't think he's actually been that bad either. I think we all I, just, I just probably take him for granted. He had a bit of a slow start to the season, I think. Um, thinking back to maybe Chelsea game, he looked a bit shaky in that game. And there were a couple of other just little wobbles that are just uncharacteristic for him. But even so, you're right. I mean, he's he's arguably our best player, our biggest asset. If you're, if you're 7 out of 10 in a Premier League team week in, week out, it's not a bad, uh, it's not a bad kind of level to mark yourself again, is it, against, is it? Not at all, not at all. And on that point, third place for, for our Player of the Year. And I don't think anybody could argue with him, with him sweeping the floor with the, the, the awards that United have done was Chris Basham. Who would have thought three, three four years ago we'd still be talking about him as a, one of our best and most integral players? I, I, I voted Basham and 
I thought about it long and hard because you can go for, as we'll see in a bit, you know, players who add more with more technical ability. But I'm as guilty of writing Bash off four or five years ago as anybody. Even writing Bash off coming up into the Premier League and questioning, actually, as we did on the pod, you know, is that a place where uh, a role where we need to strengthen? But the reality is, and we've touched on it since, he's kind of irreplaceable. He's, he's a, one of the most difficult players to replace in that squad when he eventually moves on and, you know, yeah. or, or steps back in the squad even as he, as he may potentially do at some point. I think for a defender to do what he does in a defence that's kept as many clean sheets and has been as defensively tight as he has, but also marry that with his heat map, which tends to show him more heavily on a right on the right wing, and his contribution and knows his role and he does his role so effectively. Without Basham, we don't have the season we've had. I think it. I think he's been phenomenal, like you're saying, absolutely phenomenal. And the and the big thing for me with Bash is we'll probably sit down in a few weeks, talk about transfers that we've had come in and ones we're still on, and we'll have the age-old conversation about a right-hand side of centre half and how we need to still get somebody to cover that. It's such a bespoke role he does. The only thing that was missing from a vintage season for him was a goal. With with regards to replacing him, you almost need to be, assuming he'll be first choice centre-half next season, we could almost do with bringing someone in now and almost saying to him, look, you're not going to be in the team now. You're going to have a 12-month apprenticeship almost with the the view of them stepping into into the team 2022 season. Yeah. yeah, I think I've said it on here before. I think Basham's harder to replace than Jack O'Connell because he's better at that going forward than than Jock is. As good as Jock is, and he's got a mean cross on him. Basham's heat map, like you said, Ian, is every single game like a right midfielder. It's not a right centre back at all. Uh, I think um, Jack Robinson proved when he came in, he can ably cover defensively for O'Connell. He perhaps doesn't offer as much going forward, but Basham's just almost irreplaceable. It's going to be so hard. Yeah, absolutely. Or, or you're going to have to spend a hell of a lot of money. You're almost going to have, you're almost going to have to bring a, a top quality midfielder in with the physical attributes of Basham, and coach him into playing this centre half midfield hybrid role. It's, you might not actually be able to bring a centre half and, and bring them up. You almost have to bring a midfielder in and work them backwards. Yeah, it's a bit like the thing you yeah. Rodwell. Well, I think yeah. when he brought Rodwell in, maybe that, that, I mean, that was part of the thinking. Cody would be Cody would be someone who could probably do it, but Wolves would ask forty million for him, wouldn't they? He's oh, their captain, and Wolves would ask forty, fifty million for him. So, yeah. but that you know that that's what you probably that's do. the kind of player he's got the mobility to do it, hasn't he? Yes. Yeah. Well, so, to my mind, there to my mind, they were talking about a, a player who should be in the England squad being the ideal replacement for Chris Basham. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's crazy, so, isn't it? The perfect fit, actually, I'd say more than Cody, but he, he's way out of our price league. It'd be John Stones. Uh, I'm not sure. Me. I don't think he, he, I don't think he's got the mobility. Uh, he's he's good. He's he's mobile for a centre half, but I'm not sure he's got that slaloming ability that that someone like Cody or Basham has. It's the back backwards and forwards thing for me that the Basham's yeah. so good at. And I'm, I, I, I get what you mean. I do get what you mean about Stones. By the way, I just I think I'm not sure he's got the engine for one of a better word, an engine for a centre half. That's crack, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, who knows? I mean, I, we could see the system fully evolving. It, 
over the next 12 months. We don't know. Yeah. Uh, and I think that I think if that happens, that means that it's a different conversation sort of play you're looking to begin. But Bash, all the plaudits he got from the club as well. I think it I think it just seems right, you know, how I, I think this is the start. Did I see the other day of his eighth season with us? He's been certainly in my support like he's He's, he's, he's gone to that elite level of loyalty now, which we haven't probably had a player over the, like, the last 10-year period who could go into that since the likes of Monty left and stuff. Someone who's stuck around, been through a number of regimes and always given his all. And if they do build a Wilder and Sharp statue, I think Masham needs to be on the other side of Wilder from Sharp. <laughs> Can't argue with that. It's going to be on the right-hand side. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, just in front, front of them. just in front. <laughs> Possibly on some sort of track that just that, that just perpetually runs it up from top at car park, bottom at car park forever. Like the you old know, statue at Orchard Square, like on the hour, just like Bashing just comes yeah, out, boats down the car park. Just perpetually doing laps at car park. But I think it can't be a straight line, though. It's got to be somewhere where you're not quite sure he knows where he's <laughs> going next. Yeah, and yeah. it's not a straight statue either. It sort of swivels at the hips as it yeah. needs to go. <laughs> so, uh, second place for the Four Blades Player of the Year is uh, another centre-half, this time John Egan. So, all of our back three are in our top four of, of, of our um, players of the year, which says a lot about how we've played this season, I guess. But yeah. John Egan, for me, has been an absolute rock. For me, there was a fag paper between him and the winner. Like, I think what how I, I maybe would have gone, I would have probably gone balls out on Egan if it wasn't for what the winner did in certain games where I was just like, wow, you are taking it up to the next level. Um, I think Egan's moments, Everton away, outstanding defensive performance, like, like the whole, like, the, the way he marshaled that game. Obviously, the goals he's chipped in with at the end of the season. And this is the fact that he, I just, I look at him and I'm like, I wish I looked like you. You've just got <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> dead good looking, dead good at football, dead charming, just, he's just brilliant, isn't he? What, what a player. I mean, how many players have you seen slide tackle someone with their head on the halfway yeah, line? Yeah. Oh, that was, that, that was amazing. And against Salah as well. It's not like he's yeah. just, he's not done it to like Milner. He's lost his false teeth in centre midfield. That's no disrespect to Mel. They're just a bit of hyperbole to get my point across. But he's doing it to Mo Salah, I think it was, or Firmino or someone. Ridiculous. He's, he's, he's a brilliant player, and I just hope he signs a massive fat contract for the next couple of weeks. And I personally think he will do. So do I. I think he'll be our captain for years to come. As long while we're in the Premier League, I think he'll, he'll take over Sharp and Norwood as the club captain and will be yeah. for many, many years, I hope. I, I just like to say one mistake I can think of at Chelsea aside one mix up but one mix up in an entire season at top level I mean it, it, and, and the, the games where like you say he's marshalled and led you know it, you're talking about the exceptions where he hasn't where, it, where things haven't quite gone through and he's put and himself he's, on the line and, and he's not playing a classic centre half stoppers role either is he He's, he's, he's again. He's almost dual role. So Basham's this centre half hybrid role. He's this centre half quarterback role almost. You know, he, he kind of he, he he starts as an, and he launches a lot of our attacks. Yeah, 
It's sort interesting of... you said about the goals he scored, John. I mean, the, the finish at Burnley was an outstanding finish. Any striker would be proud of that. The header at Wolves could potentially have been out if we'd have been there at the biggest moment of the season. But not only that, he was the furthest player forward when um, the uh, own goal, goal by Moose, happened against Chelsea. There was another goal, I can't remember where it was, where he nearly got a touch on it to put it in. He had a goal disallowed against Brighton. So he could easily be sat here on five or six goals for it by the end of the season as a centre half, which is a count, which is where Wilder wanted him in it. Yeah, yeah, he wanted around that five or six mark. And I think a few people have said on Twitter, like, and he probably is, and we all do it. You read everything into these photos, but if he was leaving, he wouldn't have been involved in the kit launches. He wouldn't have been involved in. Uh, a lot of the photos that have come out on social media today. Now, obviously, if someone comes in with a £40 million bid, we're probably going to have to accept it. But I don't see that. I, and we can, we're not going to really talk about transfers today, but I just think, I just love having John Egan at this club and I hope he's here for a very long time. And I think he loves being here as well. Yeah, I get that impression. On, on that note, so people who I want to be at my football club or our football club for a very long time, the Four Blades Player of the Year, for me, he was my standout from from the end of the season. It's always been the one I've said, and it's John Fleck. Just, I can remember John and I, we had a conversation in Broadfield after a Wednesday nil-nil derby a couple of years ago. And I was saying then, I'm not sure he's the player that's going to kick on and actually carry, continue our trajectory. How wrong could I be? Because I, mean, I remember saying to you at the time, and I think it was my point, and I think it's still valid now with... A lot of that League One team is we, we owe them uh, the respects of time a little bit. Like, they've got us this far. We've got to give them the chance to adapt. And the reason I I said it was a fag paper between the two uh, for me with the player of the season is I think Egan consistently through the season was possibly better than Fleck. So, obviously, after lockdown, he was injured and then he came back too quick and everything. But for me, the big thing with Fleck is... Last season, I don't. I wouldn't have put him up there with O'Connell or somebody I thought would step up. I thought physically he might find the Premier League hard, and I thought the pace of the Premier League could mean in some games um, it passed him by. And what was so fascinating about Fleck is usually it takes him about 10 games in League One in the first season of the Championship, 10 games for Motor to start running. I thought he was out of the blocks from the start of this season and really, really good. And he's added the goals to his game. We've all wanted him to add, and he's done it at that elite level. And that well, he's, face... he's played a slightly different position as well, John. It's not just that he's, he got he hit the ground running. All right, he got injured quite early on, but then came straight back in and looked good. But his position's been different to what it was for the last two years because mm. he's had a number ten in front of him rather than. I was just about to say not having that not having that Duffy position in front of him. It's actually it's given him a bit more of a license to go forward because obviously before if he goes forward and you've got two strikers and Duffy up front. Mm. That could have left a short-handed in midfield, whereas now we're playing this three, so he knows if he pushes on, he's got the insurance of two others, be that Lundstrom and, and Norwood or Berger and, and Norwood, to kind of cover for him. So it actually gives him a bit more licence to get forward. It's it's freed him up to be a... He's almost become like a classic box-to-box midfielder. You know, he's making tackles on the edge of his own box, but he's also one of the ones breaking into the box um, at the other end. And I think you, you you see the value of him when he's not there as well. As good as Ben Osborne was for the games that he was there, and he was really good, yeah. what he doesn't do is he doesn't... I don't really like using this term. It's a bit analytic but 
breaking the lines is something that he's very, very good at. He can pick a ball up and he can get past two or three players very quickly and get us to a different part of the pitch. And no one else on the team can really do that. He shifts, he shifts the, attack, the emphasis of the attack 15, 20 yards sometimes with just that little drop of the shoulder, drive. Some of the assists, or, or should I say attempted assists through balls he placed deep as well, are absolutely to die for. I think, he, I think he's fantastic and he's somebody, again, who I think will do continue to improve whilst we're in this league. He'll learn from it, playing against better players. Playing with somebody like Berger for a full season who literally will recycle the ball to him every time he gets possession. Fleck will be, not that Norwood doesn't now, but you know another quality player like near him. Um, I think very exciting and it's fully deserved. And I think if he'd not had the misfortune of being injured before lockdown and the season had gone on, he might have ended up with eight and nine goals and, and, and really shown us like, how good he is at this level. He's actually given me, you're right, he would, should have scored more goals. He's given me my most frustrating moment of the season. Why the hell didn't he put his foot through that ball against Liverpool? It's Liverpool, yeah. It was set, it set perfect for him as well. That's why I don't really understand why he, he just... He just needed to leather it and towards goal and Alisson were beaten. But I mean one one thing I'd just probably flag on on Fleck is that the one worry I might have had come into this season about Fleck was his discipline. You know, and, and controlling that and channeling it. And I think that is the other big impressive thing for me this season. Some of that natural aggression hasn't been lost, but he's used it in the right way. We've not seen some of the recklessness. You know, you're still there's still times he goes into a tackle and you go, Whoa getting at yeah he loves a tackle doesn't he but he's doing it he's done it in the right way and I think that you know we haven't seen some of those you know flare ups we might have seen previously a little bit at times he's, he's, I think he's, you know that added to his game yeah fair play worthy winner one I'm looking Absolutely. forward to seeing next year hopefully at some point in the ground again but uh, yeah another player I want to be at our football club for a very very long time so um, I think next award Dan is that uh, for you is it young player next yeah the next one is is young player of the season um, and for a couple of reasons there was only really one winner of this I think I've not got the figure in front of me but I think this was unanimous yep. um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's obviously you, you can probably all guess it's Dean Henderson um, he's had an outstanding season let's be fair um, obviously we're, we're doing this on the, on the a day where he's made a statement where he's not coming back this season uh, well, sorry where he's not coming back next season we look like, we look like signing a, a full time replacement for him um, but for what he's done for this season, I think he was the only one that uh, that could have actually, you know, could have won this award. I think there were a couple of others that were close to him in terms of age, and that would be McBurney and Moose. But in terms of minutes played and performances and age, throw everything, you know, everything in the mix. I think there was only one winner. Um, I know Phil, obviously from a, a goalkeeping point of view, um, I know you think very highly of him, don't you, as, as a goalkeeper? Yeah, he's. He's up there. He's right up there. I and mean, some people will say he's the best goalkeeper. And for some, he probably is the best goalkeeper they've ever seen for United. For me, Alan Kelly's probably slightly better. Tracy, for me, is one of my heroes as a kid. But he's 23 and he's going to get better. Uh, he's going to be frightening. In five, six, seven years' time, he's going to be the best goalkeeper in the world, I think. He's got everything. And he just needs to get 
cut out a couple of the silly mistakes that he, he, he makes, and all keepers make mistakes. But I think on top of his ability as a goalkeeper, it's his character as well, and the way that he does bounce back when he makes mistakes, and he, he puts them behind him and just gets on with his game. I acknowledges it as well when he makes mistakes because other keepers in the past have blamed other people. I always remember Steve Simonson chasing keep chasing referees around the box every time he makes a mistake. Henderson's every, never done that. every other game for that entire season. Yeah. <laughs> But Henderson's never done that. If he's made a mistake, he's held his hands up and said, I'm sorry, and he's got on with his game and got better. And Sad to see him go, but all the best to him. He's going to go on and be a world beater for me. I think, interestingly, and you mentioned this, Dan, in the WhatsApp group earlier today or yesterday about how, really, there's not many other people for the Young Player of the Year award. Maybe that is something in our recruitment that we need to look at is for the wider squad to have some young players who come on and get, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes over five, six games in the season. Just, I just thought it flagged up, like, like you said, I just thought it flagged up that, A, we've not got that many, but I think he's the only player under 20, under 23 that um, played this season. McBurney and Moose are 23-ish, I think. I've, 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 23, 24. Uh, 24. They're both over a year older than Anderson. Yeah, so he was by far the youngest. So obviously it flags up the possibility that we might need to to bring the average age of the squad down. But it also flags up that there's not there's not been a lot and there's not a lot coming through the the academy at the minute. And I appreciate that if we were still in the third division or possibly even the championship, you might see some players getting a few more minutes. And we've just moved a lot faster than the academy has. But for a club our size, the academy's got to, the academy's got to catch up. We've got to start bringing youth players through. It is a, it's a, it's a, to be in the first team and B to, to obviously sell on. I think it's a, I think it's a hard thing for the academy, isn't it? Because they're they're recruiting so far in advance and developing players from so far. Like you say, the speed of our ascent over the last three years means that actually you might not see the benefit. You know, the recruitment that's been done in the academy unless you start supplementing with players later on in their teens or their development, you're not gonna you know, you've been recruiting a certain type of player with a you know, a certain with our our ability to pitch for that player, I guess, at that time. Now we might see the benefits but it may take some time. So I think for United at the minute and we we see little bits of it in, in our recruitment and players we're linked with, they're not necessarily nineteen, twenty years old, but you know, being linked with players like Cash with Swift, the Ramsdale signing, it points to signing players in their early 20s who've got a potential to grow with us, develop their career with us. And that, that to me, is might have to be our interim solution. Well, yeah, I was going to touch on that. You say about Ramsdale there, Ian. Hmm. Ramsdale's one of our academy players that yeah. we had to let go of the circumstances we did at the time we did. And we perhaps wouldn't be where we are had we not have let Ramsdale, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Jay yeah. Adams go at the time yeah. we did. Arguably, we probably undersold them based on their value now. But when you look at the amount of money we've just brought in for staying in the Premier League with the players that we brought in on the back of selling those three, all right, bringing Ramsdale back for whatever the fee is, it's not going to be 18 and a half million. It might seem a lot of money, but he's, he's learnt his game without having to make those mistakes with us. He's learned yes. how to play at that level elsewhere and we're bringing him back now more of a complete goalkeeper. Absolutely. 80 first-team appearances, Ramsdale. 
Not bad for a very young goalie that. And one year old. I think it. I think what you're saying, Ian, about the age as well, it's, it's a similar model to Burnley do. So, for example, the Burnley have bought players off all sides where they bought loads in. You know, a lot of these players, apart from maybe Ben Gibson's one that sticks out that hasn't worked, Dyche likes to buy players where there's a reasonable bit of stock. They burnt the trade in in football, like in the Championship, League One, and played 50, 50 100, 150 games. So he knows there's a degree of, you know, like mental toughness to them and things like that. And I think when you're a side where, like we are, like Burnley are, where you've got to win as many of the percentage battles on the pitch, as well as that, I've been a style and things. You've got to have, you've got to have a good mentality and everything. I think that's that's important. But I would also like to see us have some young players in and around the first team squad in the same breath. You, you like it. You like everyone likes to see a young player come through, don't they? Everyone likes to see again one of our own kind of come through and make that step up into first team, uh, into first team level. Could I just interject very quickly? So I've just had a tweet come through from United and they've done one of these fuzzy videos of somebody walking down the tunnel with a scarf around the neck. So you can't quite see who it is. Is it a red and white shirt or a yellow shirt? Well, he's got a jumper on. It's a red jumper with a scarf around his neck, whoever it is. But I'm I think assuming, guess I'm who assuming it that'll be Ramsdale. Yeah. So yeah. I would imagine by the time we finish this pod, we'll have announced Ramsdale. Okay. There was rumours he was having a medical, wasn't there, really, today? So. Yeah, yeah. I think it looks like blonde hair on the video. just watched it myself. Yeah, I'm just looking at it now. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, yeah. okay. Well, if, if that happens as we're, as we're, as we're recording, just, just we can have a live reaction. Literally just been announced, Aaron Ramsdale's a blade. All right, okay. There you go. Four-year deal for what the club described as a significant figure. Welcome home, Aaron. Okay, so I'm going to suggest we pick that up again in a bit, so we don't talk about it too much now. We'll pick it up again in a bit and finish. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, right. So, um, so yeah, we've obviously gone through the 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 the, the, the Dean Anderson Young Player of the Year award. Um, so the final category was moments oh. of the season. Indeed, um, Ian. And quite a bit of variety of opinion here, and I think. Um, Interesting when we look at this that there's five moments here that were nominated. Three joint second and two were joint first. And for three of the five, it wasn't necessarily matches where we won, which I think is in it quite telling in the season. And I think the other thing that you kind of touched upon earlier, Dan, as well, is that none of these moments, he says just rechecking, happened post-lockdown when we've had victories against Wolves with a last-minute winner where you think about what that would have meant on the on the cop and the scenes when um, Egan meets that header. You know, we thrashed Spurs, we thrashed Chelsea. None of them make this list. And I think that says a huge amount. Um, and at this point, I think Luke should just put in Dan's diatribe about lockdown football again. <laughs> I think that nicely sums up why none of those get mentioned because you couldn't enjoy it in the way we would some of these other moments that actually you could argue were for lesser situations. So that's, we can perhaps pick up on that in a minute, but just to go through the results, joint second, there was the Lunny goal versus Palace. I think that was you, Dan, wasn't it? Uh, it was, yeah, that was my, that was my nomination just because it, it got us our first, it got that monkey off our back of the first win of the season really early. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was in France for that one. I remember it well. I was in a bar and no, everyone was having like family meals and I'm like, get in! <laughs> um, second, joint with that was the McBurney um, equaliser against Manchester United. I think that was one that I, I, I didn't go for it, but it was one I was keen on. Um, just because I think, like you say, having gone through that match, dominating for so long to go 3-2 down, but to to get that moment at the end. But then also that moment where it's under review and you... It was a long waiting. three minutes that I seem to remember thinking, oh my God, if this gets disallowed. I think what we designed it? ourselves to it being disallowed as well. Cause what? It was, was it the week after the Spurs game? It was, yeah. What, was, yeah. what would Gary Neville say on commentary? Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> All right, Gary. Oh. <laughs> Kenneth Williams. I was going to say. <laughs> Ooh. Um, we'll clip that for future use. Um, <laughs> and also in there was the being three up at half time v Burnley. And again, at that moment in time, and I think you'll touch on this well, that felt like our most complete performance, didn't it? Well, we all said let's go and beat them 5 6 0, didn't we, at half time? We went downstairs, like, that's brilliant, yeah. let's go and do it again. We also, we also, I think, to a man before it said, "Fucking hell, I take a one nil here. This is going to be a, this is going to be our toughest game of the season." Yeah, we, it was. We absolutely shellacked him at first forty-five minutes. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't put this down for my moment of the season for the team as, as, a, as a team kind of moment of the season, but as a, on a personal point. Cheers, Chris. Turning around and seeing my dad's face when Flex scored the third goal just, just straight after the second goal. I've never seen such a joyous-looking face in all my life. It was fantastic to see, and we were all a little bit in disbelief to be that that far in front of a team that we were meant to be finding it difficult against so early in the season as well. So, we all obviously meet up at half-time on the concourse for a, a kind of catch-up, and it's one of them where everyone kind of everyone's walking down. You can see people just going, and we all kind of get to there, and, and no one says it until someone goes, "Fucking hell." <laughs> and, and you're not really sure how to, you're not really sure how to, uh, how to put across how amazing that was. And I seem to remember that was the, the kind of half-time reaction from us lot. Everyone just kind of shaking their heads and smiling and pursing their lips. And you, yeah. you could equally make an argument as well that the flex, that flex goal with the interchange with Moose could have been up there for a goal of the season. Yeah, yeah. Andrew as well in that. Great finish, great ball. To the way that we pressed to get the ball off them, everything about that goal was a good goal, really. Absolutely. Um, so that's the the joint seconds. The, the joint winners, and we might need a little debate here to decide where it settles, is the sharp equaliser against Bournemouth and the equaliser against Chelsea away. Now, John, I think you were you were down there at. Uh, well, I'm going to call it Dean Court, whatever they call it these days, fitness first. I was, at the, I was at the Vitality. That's it? a Vitality, isn't it? I don't know. I was at the Vitality. Uh, unbelievable. I I went absolutely flying. I've got a bin in my shade that I think I've put down for that because a friend of the pod, Mark Heyman, was clattered by Big Rich. And if anyone knows Big Rich, he is big. He's big. <laughs> and his name's Rich. Uh, sent Mark flying in. Into me, uh, someone's just come in to tell me we've signed Ramsdale, even though we've just been discussing it. Uh, but got uh, me off, but yeah, fantastic. And the fact that it was Billy Sharp, it was the last minute, it's the Premier League, 
all the strikers union loving afterwards and everything. For me, it just had to be a moment of the season. It really did. And I wasn't at the other one. So that's why I got this one. <laughs> we were in the banner that day, weren't we, Phil? And, and I, I think I made the comment earlier on, on the group when we were sharing the results that actually, bizarrely, it didn't feel like it was an equaliser match. It felt like a match winner. I think it was because it we'd, it guaranteed that we didn't get off to a losing start. We got a point on the board. And I think it was that emotion. Came didn't, to no us Bournemouth, didn't know Bournemouth for shit then either, did we? No. We expected Bournemouth to be a, a way to be a, a, a toughish start. Yeah. Anybody that was in the Banner Cross that, that's listening to this pod, you, you can testify what Ian's just said. The place just exploded. It's like the roof would come off so I dread to think what it was like in the ground I mean there's that story of the guy flaying down the, the banner down the middle of the, the two sets of supporters there's Steve Watts friend of the pod on the pitch shaking his fist at the camera and Billy Sharp grabbing hold of that guy's head and all, all sorts of stuff kicking off it was just brilliant the noise on the video is phenomenal like oh absolute delirium went out and had a right good night afterwards as well it was absolutely brilliant um Absolutely brilliant. But the joint the joint winner, before we make yeah. a decision... Was the equaliser at Chelsea. And that was my vote. That edged out the Ellie McBurney one. And I think when we, we've all answered some questions for Den Blades as well, and when I replied on that, I think, for me, it was a moment where I thought, we're here to compete. And not just because we'd equalised, it was a deserved equaliser. We'd gifted them a couple of goals, despite playing really, really well. You know, and I thought we were we were going toe to toe with them for much of that match, and got what we deserved. And I thought coming away from Stamford Bridge that night, in the 25 minutes I was wandering around West London trying to find the coach, I didn't matter. I was in this kind of high because I thought actually, you know what, we could do something this season. That that's one of the best away ends I've ever been in. I mean, the noise when the ball went in and similar sort of thing, actually, to what you're saying, John, at Bournemouth. Um, someone come flying past me and knocked little Lewis Picard off his chair and sent him four rows flying forward. And there's the pictures and the stills after the game. Everyone's celebrating and, and on the pitch and things. And apart from Edom Kirken, who looks like a ghost, if you've ever seen that picture, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, Hi, David. <laughs> Hi, David. It was just uh, just a great, great atmosphere for the last so, however long it was. And, and first time we really saw Moose as well, and he caused them some real problems in that last sort of half an hour that he was on the pitch. Absolutely. So, I mean, Dan, have you? I mean, obviously you didn't experience either of those firsthand, but which would you give you the deciding vote on this? I'm, I'm 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 torn for both for both basically for both arguments. Obviously, the the, the sharp equaliser at Bournemouth gets us off to a gets us off to a start, gets a point on the board, and then you've got the fairy tale side of Billy Sharp last minute equaliser, first Premier League game for his boyhood club. But then you've got the Chelsea one, which is going to a traditional big six club, being two 0 down. And actually coming back, you know, ordinarily under Warnock, 2-0 down at Chelsea, it would have been shut up shop and hope we don't get done four. That that would have been the attitude, whereas we come out, early, you know, early, pull one back early and, and nick the equaliser. Um, as much as you would have thought Moose being involved would have tipped it in, in the, the Chelsea equalising favour, I'm going to have to go for Bournemouth just because it was... It got us off to a start. A loss at Bournemouth first game of the season wouldn't be in the end of the world, but 
that just set the tone for we're not just here to make up the numbers. We're not going to lie down. We're not going to accept a defeat. And that kind of that that kind of put a marker down for the rest of the season. So if if I've got the casting vote, I would probably have to to give it to the the Bournemouth equaliser. Good idea. I can't. I'm, I'm not going to argue. I mean, it was. I think the important thing is we, we pre-lockdown we had some fantastic moments watching United this season. There were some good good moments afterwards. We just couldn't enjoy them in the same way. I, I agree. I mean, as we said, I think we said before when we were talking before we started recording. I think take lockdown out of the equation. I think Egan's winner against Wolves wins that comfortably. I think a, a 90th minute winner at home under the lights in a game to, to put us into a, a realistic chance of qualifying for Europe next season I think that would have absolutely romped that moment of the season and I think that, the, the atmosphere Dan if that had happened as well would have probably oh. changed the approach to the Leicester game that is the next game the players would have been on the pitch with the fans afterwards for a good 5-10 minutes and one singing it, it, would, it would have just felt massive yeah uh, and I think, although it did feel massive, because he sort of back bookended those fantastic three home performances, didn't it? Um, I just think it was a step too far, unfortunately for us, with the short turnaround when it came to the uh, thing. But yeah, can I just talk about one more moment of the season that we haven't mentioned at all, and it wasn't even on the voting as well? And yeah. that was the, the the one moment where VAR's gone our way this season, and the 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 way that the crowd erupted when that goal got disallowed against West Ham. It's got to be up there, one of the minutes, moments of the season, surely. Well, yeah. I, I'm going to mention this. I'm going to mention it in a bit, actually, that one. Uh, it's okay. one, of, for one of our more comical, like, throwaway awards. But, yeah, absolutely. The fuck VAR to, like, she's celebrating it like mad. Transition is so funny, because obviously that was always going to happen. But just seem having Moyes set off down touchline and Snodgrass being up in people oh yeah it's left down as well <laughs> Declan Rice stupid adolescent overrated expensive not that good at football face looking dejected as well on photos brilliant <laughs> what a way to end a section <laughs> had a short break there uh, and Ian complimented me on my lovely voice and how well I introduced sections uh, so I'm going to introduce this second section of the Four Blades annual season awards second season awards and we're going to do it a bit different tonight um, we could go into more detail about you know assist of the season defender of the season but tried to put a bit of a, a spin on it uh, best and I'm going to kick things off with uh, best away day of the season. So everyone knows that there's a saying in football, don't let the football ruin a good day at the football. But sometimes the football is good as well as the day at the football. And uh, to pick best away day that I've been on this season, uh, it was only ever going to be one winner. Uh, and that's Brighton for me personally. And an absolute skinful by the seaside, Met some random kid who looked like Kevin De Bruyne. Had a lovely night out in Brighton. Phil phoned me at 5 to 12 and told me he was going to make kickoff. He was in the ground before me. I don't know how he did it. He broke some speed limits. Brighton away, fantastic. 
But Bernie scored that wonderful goal. It was when we were all in singing. We're going to Napoli after the match. Everyone stayed in and had a drink. Super away day. That's my offering for best away day. Any other contributions to that one? My contribution, having not been at Brighton, I hasten to add, but I, everything I saw of the uh, the day that some people had, the weekend others had in Brighton, looked superb. Um, Chelsea for me. And I know you weren't, you weren't at Chelsea, were you, John, I think? Unfortunately not, mate. But I was, uh, at so a I, I, I was at a festival having a very good time, but... Indeed. So, but I think for me, Chelsea, like you say, it's about the marrying up of the match, the end of the match, along with when we eventually found a pub around Hills Court that would let us in. We found a decent boozer. We were all in there. It was just a great atmosphere amongst friends. Dispersed in the ground, it don't really matter because you're just having a great, great time watching a good performance and perfect result. So, Chelsea for me. Remy walking past uh, the video, giving it one of them as well. It's really funny. Yeah, afterwards, yeah, that was brilliant. <laughs> I'm trying to think. I can't remember what away game it was, but it, it was before it the game. Been good. Yeah, well, this is probably why it was. I enjoyed it so much. Before the game, we were in a couple of pubs in a, a little town that we pulled up. It might have been Watford, actually, thinking about it. A fire alarm went off in one of the pubs and we all got kicked out. And we ended up going somewhere else and we were doing Jaegers side I think and it was just I think it was Watford it was a shit game but it was the drink before the game that I, I really enjoyed actual away game and atmosphere and everything like that I can't see past Chelsea it was brilliant Fantastic um, I Watford I remember Phil you turning to me about Tim Shelf services and went JB you pissed I was like I think I am and you went good because I am as well <laughs> not even got out of Derbyshire yet I think we'd had about I think we'd had about four pints in Wellerspoons and then cracked open some I think you bought some jackhammer boodog, which is not really some it's not really like a post breakfast uh, stomach settler. It's uh, here we go. So yeah, it was a good day. Dan, yeah, the, uh, actual away day, Chelsea for me was just from start to finish. Good mates, good drink. I'm shame you weren't there, John. Shame you weren't there as well, Dan. To be honest, but it was just a brilliant, brilliant day out. Need to get you on some away days next season if we can get twenty grounds done. You've been for a while. Uh, yeah, obviously for me, this is obviously this is this is one I've not really got a I've, I've not really got a dog in this fight because family circumstances don't don't uh, don't allow me to get to away games. So. Um, but yes, I, I do miss away games. It's a long time since I've been an away regular, and I do miss them. Although we have, I think we could perhaps talk about one of my best away day with you, Dan. Um, I'll let you tell the story. But Liverpool away when I were driving <laughs> was that the uh, the cup semi final? Yes, where we we got we got lost somehow between Sheffield and Liverpool, and then we saw a car in front of us with a blade sticker in the back and went right, fuck it, Phil, follow him. Right, get after him. Yeah, so we followed this car for about 30 miles and he stopped in the middle of nowhere, opened his door and two massive dogs ran out and headed off into, uh, in, into the countryside and we were lost. The guy, he wasn't going to the match, he wasn't going to Anfield, it was just a guy out walking his dogs somewhere in the middle of nowhere and we were slightly more lost than we were when we decided to follow him. So if you're listening, if you were that man walking his dogs that night, getting yeah. to if you had two big lurchers... <laughs> Then you steer as well off track. You made you made the game though, didn't you, boys? Yeah, we made the game. We got we got so we got turfed out of a pub. We got twatted by some coppers. Uh, who were, on by a horse. 
trampled on by a horse. I got twatted on back at leg two or three times by some coppers who were, and I'm doing air quotes here, escorting us to the ground, which was basically just an excuse to corral us in and whack us when we took a step out of uh, when we took a step out of line. But yeah, apart from that, apart from getting lost, getting trodden by a horse, and having big bruises on back of my legs, it were, uh, and obviously losing late on. Uh, yeah, we're a good day out. It was just like those big sticks at the Merseyside coppers, didn't they? Big sticks, and they all and they all had their uh, they all had the numbers covered up. Everything, everything, all these coppers had their uh, had the, the numbers covered up on the shoulders. And you had to and you had to watch Tommy Mooney's last minute free kick. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and Chris Kirkland should have been sent off handling it outside box. Monty broke his leg. Onshore gobbed at Warnock. Yeah, it was magic. <laughs> Glad I brought that up. <laughs> <laughs> can we can we call it a victory for Chelsea away then? <laughs> yeah, go on then. <laughs> so right. next one is Wilderism. Next award is is Wilderism of the season. Now obviously this is open to individual interpretation. Um my personal wilderism of the season um, would kind of sum him up, uh, and it involves the, the the recently crowned four blades in the pub young player of the season, Dean Henderson, and it's his reaction to the, the Liverpool cock up, which obviously brought widespread condemnation from from a lot of pundits. I think uh, what's a name that does works on talk sport. Natalie Sawyer was very Natalie very Sawyer vocal about it. it. Yeah, described it as dinosaur management. Um, to me, it's knowing your players. It's it's carrot and stick. Tufty knows which players need an arm round the shoulder and which need a rocket up their arse, and he obviously knows that Henderson needed a rocket up his arse rather than rather than his head stroking. And, and he gets you know he gets my vote every time because he knows these players better than I do. Um, the irony that Natalie saw you, you'd think she'd recognise dinosaurs working with Jim White, but. <laughs> <laughs> Working with Jim White and what's his name, Ginuwan Durham. Adrian Durham. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that you might get mention later. That would be my nomination for Wilderism of the season because it just sums the man up perfectly. Also I was going to go for the same one actually, but um, I had got a couple in reserves. One of them, I, obviously, one of the things all Unitedites look forward to as well as interviews after games, but. Um, one in particular that I remember towards the end of the season after lockdowns when uh, Sander Berger walked past him and he just referred to him as that big Norwegian geezer. Not many managers would do that, would they? As one of your star players is just walking past them. Nice. I just um, think the way he talks about his team, the way he refers to them sometimes, he's just he's got a handle on every single one of them and, and how to talk to them and how to, how to get the best out of them. He's just, what a man. We love him, and that's why he's got his own award. For me, it's uh, a well-known gif, but just an image, which I love, and that's the shrug, screw-up face like Pout he does when uh, McGoldrick's goal was disallowed at Spurs, and like, it's been a well-used gif. But just that sort of, and I'm doing it now, I don't know why, because none of you can see this, it's like that. It's like a little bitchy, like, yeah, that's oh. really fucking shit, but I can't do anything about that right now. And and I, it was just the way, although we, he probably does get irate, I think one of Wilder's biggest strengths is he can be quite a calm presence on the touchline. 
in those. You know, if, if the players look over and that bad decision's happened and he's swearing, arms flailing and stuff in the fourth official's face, I don't think... I don't. I don't think he'd get the response that we did in the game. It's almost like karma, like that's gone against us and stuff. It's just. It just. He always just makes me smile. That, and I don't it's know why. Ne- it, it's never all about him, is it? No. You, you. Every time we lost under Warnock, it was about him, and he was. And every time we won, in fairness, he was the one on the pitch. It's never all about Tufty. He's very no. as as kind of charismatic as he is. He's quite understated with stuff like that. And and I think. For me, it's another interview um, towards the end of the season. Uh, end of the season, in fact, pre-game against uh, Southampton. Interviewed and the sprinklers go off. And this clip, I had to download it and play it back. It, it's just the noise he makes. And it's silly, but it just makes me smile every time I hear it. So I'll try and play it. And if not, Luke can put it in afterwards. But... <laughs> Again, <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's the look because he looks down at the spring. Yeah, it's his face oh, as well. Yeah, it's his face. I, I don't know. It's just it, it sums up. You know, humour is is just who Wilder is for me, and that it's daft, but it, that it just just makes me smile every time. It talks like us, doesn't it? it? Talks like one of us. It's exactly yeah. how we'd react. Yeah. Roy Hodgson exactly. is a different. Roy Hodgson won't react like that, would he? Which is a bit of a different. <laughs> you can't see Roy Hodgson going. Oh, oh, the, the water sprinkler appears to be going off. <laughs> very, very wet. Warhammer. <laughs> very, very Warhammer. Sorry, that's very loud. John's just been told off by his mum. <laughs> <laughs> And rightfully so. <laughs> Your alpha male status is is on the way. I, I didn't know it was. I didn't know it'd begun, but yeah, it is on. Shh. Oh, I don't Help. know if we. <laughs> Sorry, mum. <laughs> I don't think we've got a winner there, have we? Well, I, I, I mean, if we if we were going to put it to a vote, Dan had gone the, gone for the one I was going to go for anyway, yeah. so I would go for that. I'm, with I'm with you. I'm, I think that's I think that's bang on. Cool. I'm happy with that. Thank you all. So next one we've got, and again, this is something that's open to interpretation. But biggest heads gone moment of the season, and I, I'm guessing this could be from when your own head's gone and, and you needed to give it a bit of a shake, or or something that's happened on the pitch to a player or a manager or something like that. Heads gone moment. Um, I've got I've got two, and I think John, you're perhaps going to refer to one of them in a little while. So I'm not going to go with the the, the one that happened at the end of the West Ham game, but I'm going to go with uh, the way that George Baldock responded to scoring against Spurs, and he's just pushing everybody away, just like get away from me. I'm not celebrating. I don't want to celebrate because we've just had one disallowed. I'm not bothered. I could actually have George Baldock for every game this season, to be fair, because he seems to have lost his head in every single game. How he's not been sent off, I do not know. But that particular moment at Spurs when he scored and he was just shoving everybody away you could see he was just angry as well as happy that he'd scored so that, that's my head's gone moment I hope I've interpreted that right by the way John yeah just anything where you're like what's up here what's happening I've lost my, what's, lost ball or somebody else has like for example my favourite head's gone moment of the wild I think was like when Will Volks got himself sent off because somebody stole his towel <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, but for me, it was my personal reaction and the absolute nonsense I was reading on social media after it happened. I was at Spurs. I'd had a wet at the barman's apron. I'd had a great day. I was glad after the match that we managed to get a point. We managed to sneak into this Tottenham boozer, but on an awful Cockney act. What, mate? Like Gary Sinclair was in there, with, I think, with his son. And there was me, Macca, Chop, Sam uh, and Ed. It, it was it was siding it down with rain, and I actually remember seeing the disallowed for goals at goal, and I was just my mood was just soured, and people actually defending the decision on social media and stuff. I, it was just it was ridiculous, and that was when I really like. I mean, I was mad at the time, so it took like four minutes, but like when you actually saw it and you know saw all the like zoomed in angles and stuff, I was so mad. I was so so mad. So it was my own personal head's gone for that one. I would I would agree with that. I wasn't there. I was watching it on a on a stream at the time, um, and watching the replays. And I'm thinking, well, what the hell? And it was just like you say, it was the it was the time they took to get to that decision. The nth degree of analysis that just seemed to disappear out of any decision by the end of the season. But we suffered from it, and it's the fact that the video still appeared to show John Lundstrom wearing clown shoes. I mean, if his feet are that big, his, his missus must be happy, you know. Um, yeah. oh, it's just the his socks. <laughs> so for me, yeah, I, I was—I've I, never been so livid sat in my living room. John, John's got Ed's gone, John. <laughs> I'm not saying it on recorded material. I'll save it for a private conversation between the four of us. You just mentioned um, Lundstrom having a big whopper, haven't you? So like, I've, I've loads of like, <laughs> loads of puns racing through my head. It's like I'm just going to leave them. But but that that for me, I lost my head at Everton when I got turned up at the ground, massive queue, and then I'm getting near the front of the queue, and the police pull me out for a search and tell me to rejoin at the back of the queue. That was my head gone, but. The the queuing system to get into a, Everton away was genuinely shit, and also the bus wouldn't stop at the ground if you remember Ian. Yeah, and it, we had to go all the way down to the other end of uh, Stanley Park. Yeah, so we sprinted up, getting the queue, and then to get pulled out by one of our friendly Merseyside uh, lobbies that Dan referred to earlier. Be told that you, you've got some drugs on you. Well, you did though. That's why you got stopped here. No, no smoke without fire, mate. <laughs> Can't cast aspersions like that in public. Well, you've just done that to John Lundstrom. He's at well, home. yeah, clearly. Of course you didn't have any drugs on you. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. I remember it, it was the whole system outside that ground. Anyway, at least we won. Indeed. Indeed. So my biggest head's gone at the moment is, is a personal one. Um, and I think one actually sparked the other one off. So the main one is obviously the Villa goal or the Villa non-goal, which I think is is possibly the most ridiculous thing I've seen in a long time. Um, but that then I think possibly spawned my anti-post-lockdown football rant on here uh, where I just – it was – I mean, this pod's a bit cathartic for us at the best of times. I mean, it lets us get frustrations off our chest. But that was, uh, I think that was the most frustrated I've been on here. Uh, and it, it, it kind of allowed me to vent. So the, a combination of the, the Villa goal and my 
anti-post lockdown, no fans in the stadium football rant is my uh, is my personal nomination. I mean, that was my personal highlight the season, Dan. I think that <laughs> I, I think the phrase "get it fucked off now" <laughs> it's, it was the pause <laughs> now. <laughs> It's, it, it, it's, 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 it was brilliant but also one thing about that which was a bit of a head's gone for me was I, like can we stop tweeting Hawkeye now like that joke that joke got very tiresome because it, what that did to me it became a daily reminder of the shit decision and it's used to wind me up even more because like that I think that's the worst decision in football since this is obviously hyperbole. It's been loads. Schumacher and Batista. Worst decision in football since was it Mendes for Portsmouth or Tottenham scored that goal at Old Trafford at halfway line? That literally, oh, yeah, right. Carroll dropped it over line. Yeah, it literally bounced two meters into back at net if it weren't given by linesman. I think it's up there with just like bizarre, like as if. Um, but yeah, I think your your rant, Dan. It's just the greatest thing I've ever heard, so I think he wipes that award up. Uh, I'd like to think his head hasn't gone, because it was so perfectly constructed in time. (laughs) But I agree. (laughs) Yeah, it was, yeah, my head's gone moment, it was quite measured, but yeah. I was, below the surface, I was boiling. Get it fucked off. Now. Now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, brilliant. I mean, that's a great head's gone moment. I'm I'm happy to go with that as well. Fantastic. Quick one now, is it? Yeah, yeah we're just on best away ground. Um, Spurs for me. I think yeah, Spurs, it, was it, just, it was just, it was, I'm not one for these modern stadiums on the edge of a motorway that have no personality and look like the other. And my word, did we go to a few of those in League One? Colchester and stuff springs to mind. Uh, but my word, that ground was great. I was envious. about it. The fact that they have Beaver Town on helps as well, Phil. <laughs> you yeah. wild. Oh, we'd had a drink, yeah. Especially when we found you could pre- press the bottom of the pine pot up to make someone's beer fall out. That caused hours of fun. <laughs> yeah, so, I had to, someone had told me that that's what happened, so I had to find out for myself doing it on my own son's pine, which I then had to go and buy another one off. It wasn't the wisest thing I've ever done. <laughs> Is that like when someone says... When someone puts a plate on the table and says, don't touch that, it's hot, and you go, oh, bastard. Without yeah, exactly. Kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> exactly that. But yeah, everything about Spurs was, I mean, the place just from the outside looks, it's so impressive from such a distance away as well. You get inside and it's like a nightclub, isn't it? It's, no, it's like going in a bar. It's brilliant. Good music and not, not, not just music being played, but properly good music, the sort of stuff that we all like listening to. Good beer, loads of room to stand about and chat. Everything about it, I'm really, really impressed with the stadium. There's a part of me that thinks that's not quite football, it's almost too good, but it's so impressive. I I, I looked on having just missed a ticket for it with Envy when I was seeing the the videos, pictures and everything coming back from you guys down there that day. And I think if I'd have gone, I would have gone for it. I, I would just do a little hat tip to one of my personal away grounds and I'll be, I had the trouble getting into it this year and the sight lines aren't great. But I still love going to Goodison. I've had some good times watching United at Goodison, and and this season added to that. Um, yeah, and I, I just think it's nice to go in a, in a world of these modern grounds and the, some of these identical stadiums. 
to have somewhere like Goodison to go to that's a good size but has still got some of that old-fashioned football ground feel to it. I think there's a photo of me and you, Phil, at Spurs on the four blades in a pub Twitter looking particularly happy with ourselves. I, I think we decided not one to put photos of ourselves on there, uh, but I'm just trying to find it there. But I agree with you about Everton, Ian. It's old school. What I do say about Everton that on the concourse at half-time, it was like an oven. Yeah, it was hot. It was really warm. Yeah. That was a hot day, wasn't it? It was back. It was about this time last year, wasn't it? it was back was it back end of August, early September? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Happy days, eh? You remember that when we could go to a game? Yeah. Sorry. Let's go with Spurs and move on because I, I think I, I think I'm just getting a bit too misty eyed now. <laughs> right, I'm looking. I'm looking forward to this one. All right, most despised, and we can all chip in. Opposition player, manager, and fans. Now, as there be no anyone who knows me, there's no prizes for guessing who's won some of these for me. So, player, it's as Dan called him, my little fucking pony himself, Jack Grealish. I just there's something about him that doesn't sit right with me, and the fact he throws himself around on the floor like he does, the fact that people defend him by saying he's the most foul player in the league. The fact that he went out drinking at the start of lockdown but then still feels that he's in a position, despite not having any England caps, to demand 200 grand a week off top clubs. Oh, get lost, I hate you. Manager, bad breath, looks like somebody who's got questionable internet history, Daniel Farker. Can't stand him. Dull. He'll be sacked by October as well, by the way, because they won't do very well. And the worst part, and you only have to read Panchero's fantastic uh, pulling together of stuff. The worst fans, Norwich. What a bunch of weirdos. From start to finish. There, my three. Thank you very much. Good night, Vienna. Well, I, I can sum all three of mine up by one club. And I've always had a bit of an irrational dislike of them. You've already got one of the players, Aston Villa. I don't like him as a club. I don't think I ever have liked him as a club. I think Dean Smith's a prick. And their fans, ever since what's gone on with um, the goal that wasn't given and the fact they stayed up, the attitude that they've had and the arrogance of them, just do not like them. I do not like them at all. I hope we spend big and go back down. Yep, so do I. Dan? Uh, I'm I'm two for three on, on John's, so I'm with him 100%, Grealish, prick, um, Daniel Farker, softly spoken, Emperor's New Clothes, prick, um, <laughs> fan, at the beginning of the season, I would have almost undoubtedly said this will be Liverpool. Uh, however, their fans were, were, were actually quite quite respectful towards us, uh, so I'm going to go, again, taking it from, from Roy's views, uh, Man City fans. So years ago, Man City were similar to us. They were a working class club. Their fans were, you know, they, they all heart back. They all said the best time they ever had was in the third division. They didn't like the, the modern age of football and they wanted to go back to what they were. Now, you put a fucking tackling on them and they just they, they throw the toys out of them. They've, they've changed. They've become basically a set of elitist pricks. So Man City's elitist prick fans. Right. So my three. I went with despised player, Grealish, prick. Clean sweep. Yeah, he, he might have gone up to Wilder after the playoff final and said, you're the best side of the play. Couldn't give him monkeys. Think that, Jack. I still think you're a prick. Um, despised manager. The hyped up, overrated, 
media loving with Frank Lampard, and I'm probably doing Lampard the person a disservice. But everything that surrounded Lampard and his, and I'm using air quotes again, achievements this season with such a limited budget, yeah. it, it, it just makes me sick. That limited budget's rolled over into this summer, hasn't it? With Werner and yeah. Zicek and the and the Havertz, and they might get Rice, they might get Dunk after All Black. I mean, Everyone talks about how they lost Hazard, but they'd also they'd also they'd already signed Pulisic with a view for this season. So yeah. That deal was already done. Kovacic as well, I think, and Kovacic was already loan, done. Loan to sign. Yeah, yeah. signed two world class midfielders. So yeah, he weren't exactly he weren't exactly feeding on scraps, were he? No, he's had to play youngsters. Well, Tammy Abraham's not a bad youngster to have in reserve, yeah. is he? You know, he... youngsters are England internationals. Yeah, he's done yeah. well taking Chelsea from third to fourth. That's off so, to the same as Derby, wasn't it? It's a Derby from fourth to third, from sixth to sixth. Yeah. yeah. But one thing about it, Wilder has got his number, hasn't he? Seems yeah. to have. Seems to have, yeah, definitely. So so Lampard for everything that surrounds him for me, with a passing mention for Pearson, because he's a pig. <laughs> um, yeah. And I despise fans. Norwich get a mention, but I didn't put Liverpool down as well because I just found it brilliant that after harping on for so long, they lifted the Premier League trophy behind closed doors. <laughs> I just, yeah. it, just, it just made me smile. It's pedant, it's childish, it's immature, but it just made me smile. So I think, in summary, Grealish is a walk. Do you think Grealish might have won that? <laughs> Can we tag him into this? I'm, I'm thinking of knocking him up a certificate to my little pony die being fucking overrated shit house. Pull your socks up. Blah, 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 blah. You've got to include toddler socks just so Luke can get can be happy as well. But, I mean, did he go out with all the ones? That upsets me from... from yeah, real. he did, yeah. Is she tall? Is she tall, not <laughs> Dunno. Is she? I hope so. <laughs> so Grealish, anyway. Grealish, walk, Grealish walks it, and then I think me, me and you both said Farker Dan. Two votes for Fark, one for Lampard, one for Dean yeah. Smith. So Fark texts the manager, uh, but he'd probably be really happy about it and say something like really positive, like <laughs> I don't see it as a loss. I see it as a, a reflection tool in my ongoing development as a man and a manager. <laughs> and then fans uh, did Norwich get two votes yeah I think they did so I think it's a double hat for uh, Falker yeah. and Norwich congratulations Norwich I'm glad that uh, I've spat enough vitriol in that that all three of mine got in I'm so anybody, any same thing then? So that's your most despised. We're going for people that we secretly admire. Same again, player, manager, and fans. Um, I'm struggling a bit with this. I've got, I've got a player that I could give you that I think might be a bit controversial. Not everybody will like it, and I've got a couple of reasons for it. John Joe Shelby, I've always really liked as a player. I think what he did at Bramall Lane, the way that he scored that goal, I've no problem with it whatsoever. I think he did the right thing for his team. No no issues in that way. And I just think he's a, he's a class footballer and I think he'd do really well for us as well. He is a very good footballer. Looks, looks too much like Nosferatu, but is a very good footballer. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, Voldemort would have been my my comparison, but all right. I like Shelby as well. Um, and I also, what I liked most about him, I remember when he got sent off against Man United for Liverpool and Phil once, and he, the, the stones on the man at 19, I think he squared up to Ferguson as he was going down the tunnel. I was like, oh, I like you. You've got something about you. you there's something not quite right about you. I think that's what I like about him. This is yeah, not yeah. quite there. He's a shilling short, isn't he? Uh, manager and fans are the same club for me. Um, I, I, perhaps not a popular opinion, but I like Jurgen Klopp, and I think Liverpool fans have changed my opinion on him a little bit this season. I'm not going to go into it any more than that. <laughs> I, I really like Liverpool fans as well. I think I'm fucking abide them for the record. <laughs> I'm with Dan. <laughs> oh. I told you it wouldn't be popular. <laughs> well, if I vote for him as well, Phil, don't win. Yeah. Not if me and Dan, but not if me and Dan team up. Right, I'm, I'll go next. <laughs> um, I went for um, playing. I went for Kevin De Bruyne. I just think watching a player with that skill and ability and watching him live is just a bonus. You know, you think about some of the opposition players we've watched over the last few seasons. Um, a player that makes the game just look easy. So, for me, it's 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 the joy of watching someone you know you, you've reached a level where you're watching some of the world's best players. Um, manager, I've got a huge amount of time for Nuno at Wolves. Yeah, I like his manner. I like his way of dealing with the press. I like his man management. Um, what he's achieved with such a limited size squad this season and squad of players with the number of matches they played. And yeah, they can say, well, they've missed out on so many, you know, got so far, but not quite. I still think what Wolves have done this season is a fantastic achievement. And for me, I look on and think, you know, that's that's the kind of model that we want to be getting to, sort of consistent, starting to develop that level of consistency and, and finish. And then... Um, Fans it was a really difficult one, and I went and I, I don't think this would be popular, but I just think when you look at fans that travel in away days, Bournemouth fans when there's all the flooding on the roads, I I, I think I end up sort of uh, with pneumonia after walking from the car to the sheaf view uh, trench. Remember you coming there. in like I was like, are you all right? Yeah, like like you, you look blue. Yeah, look, I mean, I've been there since about eleven a.m., so I was driving snow. But you, you were driving. But I, I, I just think about that day. You know, everything about it. The team didn't play that well. They lost, but they, they turned up and they were there supporting the team on their way. And on a on a day, it's you know, it's what away support is about. It's, it's you know, it's not an open terrace or the old style sat, stood getting drenched. But for me, that that kind of support, I admire that. It's it, you know, I admire that. Cool. Uh, I all I'd say about that Bournemouth game, Dan. I remember you, you, you when you found out Callum Wilson had a Twitter account after the match. <laughs> In fairness, I could have put that as my highlight of the season as well. Find out that Callum Wilson had a, had a Twitter account and atting him straight away <laughs> with a photo of me cupping me ear saying, "Can't hear you, Callum." <laughs> not that I'm not that I'm a petty wanker or anything, but you know. <laughs> This is where he puts him as his secret admiration player, isn't it? <laughs> uh, for me, uh, secret admiration, no, not really secret, um, Jamie Vardy. Uh, and the reason I'm going with Vardy is love the shit housing at the lane. 
I'd do I'd be worse if I ever scored at Hillsborough. Um, luckily for Wednesday fans, that's never going to happen. Um, but like Vardy, a lot of people had written him off. Um, Leicester at the start of the season, again pre-lockdown, were fantastic, and he was a he's Vardy, somebody who you know retired from international football, and I think everyone presumed that at Leicester and Acho might overtake him, he'd become a bit part player, but he's gone on, he won the Golden Boot, ruthless. I would have also, I thought the way back, watching Van Dijk in the flesh for the first time, Van Lane, I was very, very impressed with him as well. So notable mention. I'd also like to mention Danny Ings as somebody who I think has been fantastic, but even against us in that last game. Um, managers, I'm with you on Klopp, Phil. I love Klopp, but the one that does it for me uh, because of like season two hours is uh, my man Ralph at Southampton. After that Leicester game, he could have like rolled over, died, walked away from that. He stuck to his guns. He's actually got Southampton playing a really, really attractive, unique brand of football. Um, and to turn a season round after you've been had nine put past you at home, I just think Ralph. I think he's he'd get that. And for fans, I've gone for Liverpool as well. Do you want me to change from Bournemouth, Dan? We we need to team up here because I'm not having Liverpool winning the fans, but go on. I know. Uh, I'll, I'm, I'm doing my best, but I don't think it's going to work. Um, my three, surprisingly, are all Merseyside. Um, so the player um, is Van Dyke. Again, as much as I can't stand Liverpool, watching him at the lane this season was an absolute masterclass in in, in kind of centre half play and and obviously through the season. Um, I wasn't sure how good he was until I actually saw him play. Uh, in the flesh, but you realise he's an absolute Rolls-Royce of a centre-half. He's got the lot. Power, pace, reads the game well, the whole lot. So, for him, it's it's not really a secret admiration. It's just admiration of a player at the, at the very top of his game. Um, manager, again, it, 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 it's a little bit of fanboy in me, um, and it's not about anything he's particularly achieved this season, but it's obviously what he's done in his career. It's Carlo Ancelotti. Uh, Absolute legend of the game. Three Champions League, four Champions Leagues. Won it as a player and a manager with the only other club side that I I, I, I kind of like after United, which is AC Milan. Um, and just to, to have him managing the Premier League is, I, I think it's he's a welcome addition to the Premier League. He enriches any league he manages in. Uh, and fans is, Everton fans, A, because they're, they're the same as us. They're they're the club in their city that are regarded as the the, the poor relations and the second string, and they have to put up with a lot of piss taking from deluded neighbours. And B by the virtue that they're not fucking Liverpool fans. <laughs> Fair enough. Liverpool won though. Just if anyone listening can't work out that me and Phil means two, and then Bournemouth. And, can I can I put a caveat on my? choice of Liverpool by the way it's the way that they reacted after we played them twice this season I don't like a lot of what they stand for and I'm not going to go into that in any more detail than that but I thought that someone said earlier City the way that they came across as self-entitled bricks after we played them and before we played them on the Roy's view things but I thought the Liverpool fans came across really well and they, they kind of welcomed us to the Premier League like some other clubs haven't so that, that's why I went for them not perhaps historically what, what they were represent yeah I agree yeah. okay so that do we, we get a player out of that I don't know if we did 
four-way tie, didn't we? Yeah. Now I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna put my vote forward again for for Shelvey because it's a bit of a without without sort of dismissing your two, John, uh, Ian and Ian and Dan. I think they're quite easy to admire. Whereas somebody from somebody like Shelby's a little bit left field and a little bit more of a uh, like a guilty pleasure almost, if that makes sense. Are you, are you saying yours is the hipster choice? I can't remember what John said. Well, I said Vardy, but notable mentions for Ings and Van Dyke as well. I think Ings is my seamster one. Vardy is a bit more, whereas Van Dyke's like glaringly obvious, like you say, he's, he's just. Just a Rolls Royce. He's another one like Egan, just dead good looking, cool as fuck, him. Like Van Dyke's that cold. You you could use him instead of a fan. Is that right? So could have him stand next to you and instantly cool down. I think I'm happy to call it a four way time. We've all got good reasons for why we admire them. Yeah. I thought I also think we should let Phil have this one because he came back with the second plea, so I think it means a lot to him. <laughs> I feel that strongly about John Joe Shelby. I'm demanding it goes in. <laughs> so what yeah. have we got next? Most disappointing blade. Mm, tough on this. I, I don't think I've really struggled with this because I couldn't single. I don't think you can single anyone out on the playing or management side of the club. So I'm just going to pick out some of the morons on the Facebook groups who decry the players before they've even signed, who are blind to what Norwood brings to the team, who just put provocative shit on a Saturday night onto Facebook. And it, I try and avoid it, but then it appears on my timeline and it annoys me. So I'm most disappointed in them because actually just then, I'm not saying we can't criticise. I'm not saying we shouldn't be... <laughs> down when we don't get the result we think we deserve but for God's sake get a bit of balance that's me I, I'm, I am going to go for a player um, he's not a blade anymore actually but uh, Ravel Morrison I, I know he was a bit of a free hit and we know that his history is such that there's every chance he was going to fail but I kind of thought if anybody could turn him round Chris Wilder could and him, him not being able to has been a bit disappointing because there's clearly a footballer in there and we never got to see it. I get that. I, I guess it's, it was mitigated that for me by, yeah, you've got that hope that Wilder can be the, the alchemist as has been described on here before. But uh, I just look at it, uh, yeah, it, did it disappoint me? It, it kind of, very few have seen it. You know, we saw it a little bit in the in the Youth Cup match, but very few fans have seen it, so it, it probably mitigated some of the disappointment for me a bit. I, I, I tend to agree with Phil. That wasn't my nomination, but I agree with him. What's more disappointing is the fact that he's had so many chances at so many clubs with so many top managers and continues to fucking bleat on social media how he's misunderstood and how no one understands me and how this, is, this that, and the other. How many chances do you want? Take a bit I mean, of responsibility. If, if, if Redknapp, Allardyce, Ferguson, Warnock, Wilder, if one, five different characters, if not one of them can get a tune out of him, you might, he might need to start looking at himself a bit more. Five different characters who are all renowned top. They're probably five of the best man managers one in managers, football. Yeah. Exactly. If, if not one of them can get a tune out of him, he needs to start realising it's him that's out of step, not the rest of the world. So, I don't yeah. think he ever will, sadly. 
Yeah. Uh, he, he wasn't my um, he wasn't my nomination. Um, my nomination was, and, and it, this might be a bit harsh, uh, was Luke Freeman. Um, whenever I've seen him play against us, he's always done well. He's a player that I've wanted us to sign for a long time. When we did sign him, I had high hopes. He came in and did okay, and then he's never really he's never really threatened the first team. You know, he's all right. He was injured towards the back end, and that might be more to do with how well the combination of Lundstrom, Fleck, Norwood, Berger have played. Um, but he just never looked like someone who could make that step up to Premier League level. And I think he's possibly in that band of players who are top end, possibly a little too good for the Championship, not quite good enough for the Premier League. Darren Huckabee, Craig Hignett sort of level, but maybe not harsh on Huckabee actually, but Craig... Yeah, probably harsh Huckabee. Yeah, Huckabee, Huckabee, not so much. But yeah, so, and I think he possibly, he might be something that someone used in a, you know, a make way in possibly a a transfer that's coming up. So, it's no no particular slight on him. It's possibly more to do with how well the team have performed, but he's just, he's just a bit meh for me. Fair enough. I, um, post-lockdown, if I didn't love everything about the man, I would have said Ender Stevens' performances post-lockdown because they were dreadful. He was was back to first season dreadful, first season of the championship when he had that dodgy spell for about two months. Uh, But it's going to be a bit more of a bespoke one because I think I'm with you, Ian. It's very hard for a player. I think I agree with the points Dan and Phil have made about Morrison and Freeman. Uh, but for me, it's the man who sits about three rows behind me who basically, I think, wants Ollie McBurney to go round his house, do his washing, do his cleaning, <laughs> ironing, shag his wife, clean his fridge, do, do big shop, you know, cleaned out behind radiator, make sure he's got all these bloody stuff a bath and a shower, running the bath, eyeing his underwear, and it's whoever he is, I don't know his name, who, despite McBurney winning the second most aerial duels in the league, winning 49% of his attacking aerial duels, being the third best pressing striker in the league, being the ninth best presser of the ball in the entire league, still just wants McBurney to win every header. And wants McBurney to do everything. And he just upsets me. Why aren't you trying, McBurney? And all this, it's whoever he is who sits behind me, he just upsets me. I don't think he understands football. And I think his wife and child are very unhappy at home because he just goes on and on about it. With the same bloke I'm reading on Facebook. He's, and and in, in that, I think, well, I, I, I am being, being blase and trying to be funny. Um, but it's, it's the people who slag off these players in our team, like Ian said, who are just fantastic. Uh, and whether that's at the ground or, or on social media, uh, people like McBurney Norwood, okay, they're not reaching the levels of Fleck and Egan. But my word, cut on some slight. And also, some of the stuff that's been said towards Lundstrom on social media in the last couple of weeks. Like, Lundstrom doesn't feel the contract we've offered him, right? We all said if he needs to go, he needs to go. I think the guy from Den Blades put it, Sam put it really well. He said, never been too high on Lundstrom, never been too low on Lundstrom. And 
I just feel like there's a lot of nastiness gets thrown around to a lot of our players who've done very, very well for us this season. I don't know what you think to that. Just tribalism, isn't it? People people take it personal if someone's not wanting to to sing along the same sort of song that, that they're singing and, and Lundstrom's obviously looking after himself, which is fair enough. He's had a good season, let him make the most of it. As far as I'm concerned, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's at that age where he can he can earn a life turning life changing amount of money with his next move, can't he? Yeah. So. He's going to capture the moment while his fancy Premier League stocks are high. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. So uh, I, I quite like the mo. Your shout, Ian. To be honest, the social media nonsense that some people spout. It's quite disappointing. Yeah. I, I think yeah. you've mentioned it as well, John. I'm quite happy to go with that as most disappointing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Just that we, we, they, they deserve us to get behind them. And that's not just at the ground. It's don't don't want to be don't want to be not that they should, but you know, Ollie Norwood doesn't need to be typing his name to Twitter and people saying that he's crap and he doesn't affect the game and stuff like that when he's one of the best midfielders the club's ever had. Like just, just stop typing reactionary bollocks. It's, it's boring, it's tiresome, and we're better than that as a fan base. I'd like to think we are. We are, definitely. So, go on, Ian, sorry. No, I was going to say so. I was going to say same as you. Moving on, I think we've got Unsung Hero next. Um, a difficult one again, because I was thinking about players. But for me, obviously this season, the media... Our success has put a media focus on uh, the club, the players, and, and significantly Chris Wilder. But actually, the unsung hero for me, and we've touched on before, is Alan Nil, because he's just gone about his business. He's he's the pillar, of the rock next to to Tufty, making the decisions, making the calls, and he's got none of the limelight. He doesn't seek the limelight, but actually is a key part of what we achieve. So, for me, it's Alan Nil. Can't disagree. I can't disagree with that. I, I thought you were going to go in a different direction then, actually. And I, I, I've kind of got two. Uh, I've got I've got a player and I've got an off-field off thing. So, the player, as an unsung hero, for me, is Simon Moore. He's quite happy to sit and be a backup to, to a very good goalkeeper in... in uh, in Dean Henderson, he comes in when he's needed to, and he has done. He, he hasn't done a lot wrong. He wasn't exactly shining himself in glory either, to be fair, in the two games he played. But it's important for a goalkeeper of Dean Henderson's stature to have a good number two behind him, and, and Simon Moore's been that. But off the field, unsung hero is our social media, and I know we've talked about him before in the Hall of Fame. But I, I read a stat on Twitter this week where. We're something like the fifteenth most most viewed social media in the world in world in the world of sport, which yeah. is just insane. Oh, TikTok, it was TikTok with the fifteenth most viewed TikTok sporting account in the world, which is just mental. And, and credit to the people that manage our, uh, our social media on the back of it. It's a fantastic shout because actually, as much as you know, we're on media, we're, we're, we're podcasting, we're on Twitter, but. The way people consume football is changing. The way this next generation will watch and consume football changes, and they'll want content on things like TikTok. And if we've got their engagement right, like we have, it can only benefit us. Every, every company, every major company in the world, using social media to promote themselves, and we're doing it as well as well. 
as well as most out there in, in a kind of, especially in the sporting uh, arena. Good shout, Phil. Dan, you, who's your unsung hero? Um, you kind of stole my thunder. My unsung hero was, was Alan Nil. Um, just because, like you said, tough to get, tough to get, he gets the headlines. But I think a lot of the, a lot of the good stuff that we do, um, nearly can take a lot of the, a lot of the credit for that. And you know, he's, he gets, he gets rightly lauded for his, uh, his set piece work. But I think a lot of the other stuff he does, and a lot of the, from what I can gather, he watches a lot of, a lot of different football. He's always coming in with different ideas, and, and that's I think how we've, we've evolved into this. This kind of fluid side that we have, so yeah, I'm 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 going with Alan Nil for that one. Yep. Tough one. Uh, I actually went with I, a few players that I wanted to mention. Uh, a few people who are sung, I suppose, but maybe haven't been recognised as much in the end of season sort of praise as I would have expected them to. We've just done a bit for Dan Blades, haven't we? And I mentioned one of these in here, and that'd be uh, some of the first teamers who I think have been brilliant and don't get. Um, mentioned enough and that was uh, Baldock and Norwood uh, in terms of on-field. I know they do get a lot of praise but really Baldock particularly I think has had a tremendous season. Uh, but an unsung hero, uh, it's the two it's the two left-footed lads who uh, came in in lockdown and I don't genuinely think we're that bad and we could do, we could do with going and getting another four of these almost to bulk, four or five of these to boost the squad and it's uh, Jack Robinson and Ben Osborne just coming in uh, particularly Ben Osborne who's had to, had to wait a long time for a chance I think he was he came off the bench at Chelsea actually early on in the season and then I don't think he was back on the pitch until apart from the cup which might have even been before that and when we lost uh, until, until the cup games like much like in January or so, and then came in and obviously performed at that level. And touched on it before, Osborne particularly, something like six games when you've not played all season, six games in 18 days or whatever it was. And he played every minute of them, including like some last-ditch challenges and stuff. I just think players like that, um, in a similar way to Phil said about Simon Moore, uh, we just need a few more of those in the squad. And I really... I just think Osborne and Robinson did really, really well for us. Um, and doing a very hard job replacing in Flack and O'Connell, arguably our two best players. I'd put Osborne down as a player. If I, if, I, if we were pushing it down a player line, then Osborne was the player I'd noted. Um, but yeah, but equally good shouts. And it's easy, isn't it? We, 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 we praise the, the player of the season. And I think we've all said it. You could pick seven or eight. We haven't mentioned them all, but like you say, it's it's the fact that they don't get mentioned doesn't mean to say they're not they're not the hero. We've got a team of them this season. So on that vote, does Neil tip it? Yeah, we all love Alan Neil. Yes, too, didn't he? Yeah. Superb. I think Dave, if you can put in the Dave Blademan song, uh, here, Lou, oh, you know, I love Alan Neil. <laughs> <laughs> I'll dig it out on my WhatsApp and send it to you. Yeah, that'd be great. Best pundit award. Are we going for social media master? Oh, uh, we missed that. I nice. think we need to. I think I think United have got two. Um, I, I'm going to put mine forward first because I think you're probably going to go for the same, John. But Ben Osborne's one of the funniest people I've ever seen on Twitter. Some of the stuff he puts on there just has me howling. 
and it's just little comments. And sometimes he'll put sort of full tweets out, but it's just a little comment. So like recently, a few different styles knocking about on how to wear a mask. Plenty of people opting for the nose just poking over the top of it option. That'll do. <laughs> Made me chuckle. And then a couple of a couple of months ago, he was going, Laura doesn't think I do out around the house, so I've started keeping track of all the jobs I do. It's turned into us indirectly arguing via writing stuff down every time we walk past the calendar. I'd recommend it. With a picture of all the jobs that he's done that day around the house. <laughs> and it's stuff like that that he does. I just, it just makes me laugh. He's... You can tell he's obviously a character and, and he, he kind of expresses himself quite well on social media. Yeah, I, 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 absolutely fucking hilarious. I'm a massive fan of The Office. And when he decided to throw a little milk jug over the house at the start of lockdown, like with the hashtag Finching and then challenged Joe Wally. I don't think Joe Wally ever did it back, uh, unfortunately. Uh, but he's dead cool. He's like he's proper into like tunes and stuff as well. And like he just he's just he's just ace, isn't he? Like he's he, he like I I'd be mates with him, I think. And I know that sounds really weird to say about someone and why you like him, but I generally want him to be my friend. I think he'd be brilliant. Uh, I think we get on really well. Like he's dead funny, like just like me. So um, yeah. <laughs> I, I took this one as, uh, and we've already touched on it, social media master, I went for Owen Doyle, not the uh, diminutive uh, Irish striker who's played for Chesterfield, but our social media man at the club. Um, but we've already touched on why. Um, but I, I took an easy I took an easy route with that one, I think, bit route one. But um, the, uh, honourable mention for Ollie McBurney for attracting all these porn stars. McBurney as well. Some of those clothes are absolutely rascal. I love them. McBurney was my vote just because, like you said, the rascal clothes, the Scarface quotes, the porn stars. I mean, uh, um, what more do you need? <laughs> so, I think, is that two votes for Ben Osborne there? Osborne takes it, I think, yeah. I think, and I'm, I'm happy with that. Yeah. So moving so, on. I mean, this is a tough one. I think. I, I think. I think. I'll be honest. I think the standard of pundits in the Premier League is far worse than the standard of pundits in in the Football League. I think the, the, uh, so I'm real. I was really struggling with the best pundit award, and the only one I could give it to is just because I love him and I've always had a bit of a man crush on him. That's Ian Wright. I think he's. You know, he, he, he knows what he's talking about, but just his general enthusiasm and how much he, he obviously loves the game, um, I'd have to give it to Wright, to be honest. I like the I like the passion of him. I really do. I love the passion of Ian Wright. I, th- I think I think as well though. He, he... More so this season, I, I think I've seen his football knowledge come out in a more constructive way as well. So he's, that passion's always been there, but he's always been a bit about the hyperbole. But I think there's been a bit, there's more substance to it this season with a lot of his insight, and certainly he's liked the way we've played. Um, my my vote would have gone for Sooners for the loving after the Man U game, but then he started calling us Sheffield all the time at the end of the season, and that just annoyed me. Um, and I enjoyed listening to McCoyst on co-commentary for the Everton game. I'm a big fan of Ali McCoyst. Um, not really a pundit as such in that sense, but as a co-commentator, I find you know there's not many I, I like listening to, but I just long for having people like Higginbottom and Rossini talking about us. 
Yeah, I've missed Liam Rossini this season. Is he is he at Derby or something now? Didn't he take a job back in football? He did take a job back in football, yeah. Right, okay. he, he was back for the playoff final, I think, on Sky. He says, I think he was. But yeah. Dan? Ian Wright. Oh, sorry. He said yours, and yeah. Uh, mine's, um, it's probably a bit of an easy one, but I just like listening to him speak when you can understand what he's saying. Um, Carragher. I, I think he, he, he really likes us. He, um, he goes into quite a lot of depth when he's talking about us in, in dissecting the way that we play. Um, for somebody that I didn't used to like as well, he used to irritate me, especially as a player, I hated him. But as a pundit, I think he's really good. And he's, he's not just one of these that, that talks rhetorically. He actually dissects what he's trying to explain and, and, and talks through it in quite a lot of detail, which I really like. I've always liked Gary Neville as a pundit as well, but... Uh, for the way that he's talked about us, I'd go with, with Jamie Carragher. And I think having met him briefly down at the Chippy at Man Friday before the West Ham game for a little thing for Sky, he was absolutely sound. Absolutely sound as a pound. In fact, out of the two of them, when thing, when he couldn't get his own way, Gary Neville was a bit more mardy about it, but he couldn't do it how he wanted to do the, the filming. But Carragher was brilliant with the, the, the few fans that were in there and he was talking to us and chatting to us beforehand. It, and he got us as a club. He get he get he understands, and he knew oh, clearly. Like you say, when pundits, there's a lot of and we'll come on to it. Lazy punditry about he, he he watches football, he absorbs it, and he and and he speaks increasingly well about it. Mine's a bit more left field, uh, uh, and it's a it's a it's a duo, but then with a reference to them both, and it's. Uh, for the interaction between Mika Richards and Roy Keane, uh, it's just some of the funniest things I've seen on television this season and how, obviously, amped up Keane gets and things like that. I think Mika Richards is actually being like, quite good and refreshing on Sky. He, he doesn't give a fuck, does he? He just gives and it that, back. And, that's, and that, I really like that about him. But I also think Sky's needed freshen up for a while. Like, there's a definite buddy cop series waiting to be made there with them two, isn't there? <laughs> Absolutely, like, uh, but obviously Roy Keane wins my favourite pundit for uh, Man U against Spurs at White Hart Lane in lockdown, one of the first games back, and that ran about De Gea at half-time, and he was like, oh, a bit throwing punches. <laughs> I wouldn't let him get back on the bus. I'd make him get a taxi back to Manchester and stuff like that. And he's and, and what's what I liked about it is he's right. And like you might a lot of people hate Man United, and that's their prerogative. But Roy Keane knows what it is to be a Man United player. And it was just the way he was like so he's exacerbated, exacerbated about these constant mistakes De Gea makes and fact and he goes, they're not even trying to win a trophy. They're trying to finish fourth. <laughs> And, and it, it's the passion by which he speaks with Keane, even though he's a bit of a... He is, like, round the bend. Like, and him and Mika Richards, when they've had a couple of twos and throws, has been brilliant. So it's them two for me, just because Sky's need fresh, Sky has needed freshening up for a while. Uh, obviously, I, aside from Neville and Carragher, who are both very good, but the whole, you know, Sooness and Keane and Redknapp thing sometimes... <sighs> I reckon they've got like a script and they just read off it. It's, it can be really, really dire. 
I mean, Red I, Knapp, it's, I mean, it's no wonder Red Knapp's wife left him because he's boring as fuck, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Louise, I reckon she'd been listening to Four Blades in a pub and knew there was something better out there for a blesser. She had a comeback last year. I've not heard the single, but I'm sure it's dreadful. <laughs> something else that needs freshening up is uh, Nestle Lucky Charms adverts, John. I think we should get you in for a job there as well with that impression. <laughs> I don't know what... The, what are Nestle Lucky... They're American cereals. They're all after me Lucky Charms. <laughs> I can't do an Irish accent. No offence to any of our Irish listeners. I've got some Irish friends, honestly. Egan Stevens. Not anymore, you want. No. Oops. Um, and then, well, we're going to end on... Do we, need a drink? do we need a drinks break before this one? Because this one could be the longest section we've ever done. Well, who, who won that one then? Who are we going with? I'd, I'd support Ian Wright. Yeah, we all like Wright. He's nice, isn't he? Yeah, I like I, I like as well, like, I like how patriotic he is. He does it in the right way as well. And I think that's a skill in itself to be a progressive patriot, if you will. Um, worst pundit, I think Miss Atkin should be a lead on this one. <laughs> He's dropped that bomb and walked off. <laughs> I'm just, just rearranging the chair. I'm really warm tonight. It depends what we're call, what, what we're um, what we're calling a pundit. My, I had two two possibilities. The first one was was Danny Mills, just because he's he's clueless. I genuinely don't think he does. I genuinely I genuinely don't know how he gets paid to do the job he does. If I went into if I went into meetings in my work, having done as little research on what I was going to talk about as he does there'd be serious questions asked about my professionalism and why they were paying me. Um, so he was my first thought, but the second, the second one I had was, the second thought I had was Adrian Durham. But I don't know if he's classed as a pundit. To me, he's just a, he's a low rent shock jock. He's, he's like, it's, it's audible clickbait, basically. That's what he does. Who was he after this week? Rick Wolves he was after. Yeah. Yeah, he came out this week and said he thinks Wolves might, because Wolves lost in the Europa League semi-final, he thinks they might get relegated next season. It, surely he's just a wind-up merchant. Surely no, he doesn't believe what he says. And, 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 and exactly, but that, but in that case, that, I'd have to call him to question his integrity then, because he's coming across, he's not coming across as Howard Stern. He's not there doing a, a kind of jokey comic shtick where it's all done for shocks. He's actually portraying himself as a serious job, a serious yeah. Mate, the guy works for the sun. What do you expect? Exactly, but you listen to some of the opinions he comes out with, and there's no way any serious pundit could believe them. You know, all he does is he picks them, he picks a topic, he picks a standpoint that's going to cause the most consternation, the most opprobrium, and get the, the phone lines lighting up as much as possible. He's basically a corporate shill posing as a as a as a legitimate football pundit. I'm prepared to go with it just because he called me a boomer on Twitter. Oh, he did, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. He did, yeah. Um, so, uh, having, having been back and forth, Adrian Durham, Danny Mills, I've got to go with Adrian Durham because he's just, yeah, he's, he's just a, he's, he's a corporate shill for, for one of the worst organisations in the country, TalkSport slash The Sun. Fair enough. I, I think, like like John said, this could be our longest ever section if we really went into detail. And we could talk about all sorts of different names. Um, Steve Nichols' video of him going to get annihilated. He's going to go down in folklore with United fans. The best one as well was the fact that after that, 
there was the video where him and somebody else did it and managed the ear came up as Wilder is like, what's he doing there? Like, <laughs> like, like, not someone to put him on just to wind him up. <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm actually going to go for a summariser. So, like, like Ian said with the co-commentator, Steve McManaman for the Arsenal game was the worst co-commentator I have ever heard. They need to He's score just... a goal. There needs to be a goal. They need to go that end and score. They need to go back to what they're good at and playing it long. Have you ever fucking watched us? Seriously. Go more direct. That's what has made them so successful this season. It fucking isn't. Try watching us. Many years many years ago, like my mate Joe's a Liverpool season ticket holder now, but he only used to get to about five games a season, so he was on the waiting list at Anfield. Used to say, You're so lucky you get to go to the match. Because when you watch your team on TV regularly, listening to the bullshit and the constant replays that you get subjected to just winds you up beyond belief. And and I think that's like if I didn't want some noise on when I watched the football, I'd turn it off some of the time because the commentators are just and like you said, Dan, so many of them you can't believe they're actually getting paid for this shit. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there's loads to there's some ter- there've been some terrible pundits. Um terrible pundits, but he's not come up yet. But I think Garth Crooks. Yeah, he had to get a mention there. Just because it's almost like so Quite frankly, basic. Now, I always had a problem with Garth Crooks and the fact I thought he'd swallowed a theosaurus as a young boy. And that's what's made him come out with this absolute nonsense. Because often he tries to put extra words in sentences where they're not needed. But, but and it was a prime example, and I think their football is quite frankly basic. Now, anybody who makes that declaration about a team, not just United, it's not like a personal attack, that makes that sort of stupid comment after I think it was two games. This was, why, why have you in the job? Chelsea game. Well, well it's during yeah. the Chelsea game. So it was two. Know. It was at two nine. The Chelsea game. Yeah. Quite frankly, basic. Yeah. Uh, but but this comes back to the point. It, he's he's clearly rarely watched us. McManaman's never watched us as any sort of prep for going to one commentary he's doing on us this season. You know, and it comes back to your point. Do your job. Yep. Do some research, do your job properly. And that probably leads to mine, which is someone who ended up doing more of our games than was wholly necessary, Andy Inchcliffe, who, despite watching us seemingly throughout lockdown and driving me on a twist, could not find very, well, found very little positive to say in any match he watched, does he? Well, he's one of them, isn't he? He's one of them. And he's got an ass on the end of his nose. <laughs> Or a really old man's willy. <laughs> Cock nose. Uh, just, just, I, yeah, he's a pig, and that, that will always be a factor. But really, again, just do us some justice. Do, do us some favour. The, the regurgitation, and it's just the regurgitation of stats. Chelsea, Chelsea scoring second. Chelsea scoring second. Half, Chelsea scoring yeah, second. You're desperate for that stat to come. For that yeah. stat to come to uh, He did actually claim in one game during lockdown that he'd predicted us to finish sixth at the start of the season. <laughs> he started off. He started off this part of his conversation saying, "I did think that, that having seen them in the championship, they could finish in the top ten. And by the time he'd finished the sentence, he said, "Actually, I did say that I thought they could qualify for Europe." 
which is just bollocks, let's be honest. I, I need him to bring out the person he said it to. Yeah, exactly. I'd like to meet them. We need to subpoena that person. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think just the gen. I think it's hard to pick a winner here because there's just been an absolute. You could have, you could do a one to eleven of absolute dicks, couldn't you? I think, you, you, like you say, you, you could throw half of the talk sport line. So Jason Cundy, he's as bad. Danny Mills, Durham, Jim White. If we're talk, if we're calling these pundits, most of the sky lot, most of the most of the written press would all. I've got no problem at the beginning of the season if people that have said Sheffield United will finish bottom because and come up with legitimate reasons. That's their opinion. But the fact that they just wrote us off because we were long ball, because this the, the reasons they were giving weren't justifiable because they weren't true. Yeah, That's, that's the problem. It's the, 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 na- the narrative for us doing bad at the beginning of the season would should, if people are going to claim it, they have got a, a squad which Phil Jagielka aside is incredibly inexperienced in the Premier League. And then you go, okay, well, actually, yeah, that's fair enough. It's, it's fair enough, yeah. But that, but that's at least a take, isn't it? That's a, yeah. that's a take on the situation. It, it'll always be the case. And I mean, that's why like, I'm happy to pay for the Athletic. So I've got something reasonable to read that's like, actually well-informed and some of the stuff like TIFO football doing stuff, it's generally different and interesting. But like... Oh, find it. You can have a. We've got to mention Alan Brazil as well. Not not because he's done anything bad towards United, just because I really worry about him that he might explode soon. (laughs) (laughs) Have you seen Alan Brazil recently? He looks honestly. You're going to go in one morning. They're going to go on to do breakfast show, and he's just going to be blown all over the screen. (laughs) Studios. He's going to be exploding. He looks like he's eaten moose, and I mean Ian Abraham's not least moose. Oh, he's, he's another one. Go on, let me start on him. Happy friend. birthday to my friend. None of these people are your friends. In all the photos, they look really uncomfortable around you. In your fleece, your fat West Ham jelly deal eating weirdo. I think, I, I, think, well, I think my fear is that if a woman actually rang up Talk Sports Singles, they could end up on a date with Moose. Isn't he married? He's got kids, I think. I say I don't know. I just, oh, yeah. I just, just assumed he was a sad loner. Oh, and I it, think he, I think he's probably, unfortunately for her, got a wife. Okay. Anyway, so, so we're just saying all of them as the winner of the worst pundit of the season. Exactly. Anybody other than who we talked about in the previous section? <laughs> 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 this, 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 some stinkers. I, I, I don't know. I think in terms of comments, I think it's Garth Cooks or Steve Nichol. I think they're the two real rascal ones, just because of how throwaway and stupid they are. I'm quite happy to. Put, I'm quite happy to give my vote to Nickel just because of how certain he was. It yeah. wasn't a case of I think they'll not do well. It was 100% certain they are going to get annihilated. There was no, there was no grey area. It was we are going to get destroyed. So I'm quite. Happy it was to that give my sure vote. he said it twice. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, annihilated. I think a lot of why Steve Nichol hates us is that game where we beat Liverpool 2-0 the other season years ago when Dino scored two because both goals Nichol ends up swinging in the back of the net having failed to to, uh, to kind of clear it off the line I think that's yeah. what it is Didn't he play for them scruffy fuckers over side at City as well? Yeah. yeah Yeah he played for Wednesday as well didn't he? He's an idiot 
Right, Nickel wins. Nickel wins, but we've got to just say, Garth Crooks, your Theosaurus swallowing weirdo. Well, I was going to say bug-eyed twat, but okay. There's some, there's some, there's some great like gifts of Garth Crooks on uh, on Twitter if you fancy a search, listeners. But that's been the second annual uh, end of season awards. Um. So fair, it's been good to talk about the Blades again. Um, we've only got three weeks to go now, haven't we? Three and a half weeks until the start of new season. Fixtures are out tomorrow morning, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. fixtures out tomorrow. First new signing of the season announced tonight. It's uh, it's ramping up. And uh, yeah, a few comings are going. So obviously, pull the bones out of that and then do a proper. I think we'll probably do a decent transfer one and a season preview with our hopes, set, dreams, aspirations, or whatever. But um, Just seeing football in the flesh, to be honest, at the minute, but anyway. Yeah, well, that's... Yeah, well, we'll see what happens with this October thing. Um, and we can talk about that in due course. But it's been a really good season, even though it's been now going for 12 months with us only recording this today. Like, all the Facebook and Instagram and Twitter memories of Bournemouth were coming up just, just the other day. But, like, it's... It's been it's been a good season and it's been nice to look back on it again. And I think that's test. It would have been really hard to do this if if the season has fizzled out as we as we feel. Wonder how four canaries in a pub podcast gone tonight. <laughs> <laughs> really well, like. Oh, sorry, I'm, not, I'm sorry, I've got that wrong. It's called four canaries in your sister. <laughs> I was gonna. I was gonna go. I was going to say four canaries at the local community centre, but not like. <laughs> yeah, uh, these Norwich aren't very popular on this podcast, um, but it's been it's been great, and we look forward to uh, hopefully with the schedule being a little less relentless, trying to bring your podcasts after every game uh, next season. I think that's going to be our. I think we'll all agree, boys, that's going to be our personal target that we're going to try and get a little bit more consistent with that. It's very hard. We've all got jobs um, and other commit family commitments and whatnot, which means it's, it's challenging. But it's been great, boys. It's been great to talk through it again with you this evening. That's that. All right. Agreed. All the blades. All the blades. All the blades. If you go to a pub in Ireland, you have to have a start. And if you don't have a song, you may as well not put the phone on. I've changed the marae, by the way. So if anybody wants to buy me a marae, well, I'd say Peroni as well.